Spirit of God. You are among us right now, Spirit of God. Father God, the only reason we have come today, Lord, is because we are looking for the power of God that is promised in Scripture. Holy Spirit, I pray you would anoint this time together. Father God, we did not come here, Father, to leave the way we came. We came here to encounter truth and be transformed. Your word promises you take us from higher to higher. Father, we trust your promises. Father, please just come anoint this next time we have together. Let us feel your presence, God. Let us hear your truth. We just, we honor you, Lord. We're here because we honor you. We honor your name. We honor your word. We trust it. We base our lives on it. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Give me your words. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right, the name of the talk today is Fireball. God wants us to understand how alive he is. He wants us to know how alive and powerful he is. And he wants us to be alive and powerful. He wants us to be operating in power, in his power. Um, You know that song, uh, That Girl is on Fire, This Girl is on Fire by Alicia Keys? That's who we're supposed to be. This is who we were created to be. Um, It's funny because I looked at the word fireball, and the definition, interestingly enough, is a ball of fire. Um, Or a highly energetic person Dynamo, live wire, pistol. That's who we're supposed to be. The very opposite of depression. Depression is lethargy, listlessness, exhaustion, overwhelming, victimhood, a whole list of the opposite of fireball. The opposite, we are to be on fire. Dynamic. So we're going to talk about it. The church started, we all know, at Pentecost with 120 people in an upper room, 120 people. Originally, they suspect that there were about 500 that were told to go there, and he said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and only 120 waited. But the ones who waited were serious, and they were powerful. So they waited in the upper room, and tongues of fire literally came and rested upon them, and they changed their city, They changed their state. They changed the world. They changed the world. 120 people. 120 people. So now, church in America. Polls show, I've looked up the, you know, national poll, 75% of Americans call themselves Christians. So out of a population of 332 million, 205 million are Christians. 205, we have 205 million Christians in America. We started with 120. We now have 205 million in America. So what does America look like? Are you guys like, I mean, really, when you just even say that, you just kind of almost want to laugh or cry? I mean, what does America look like? With 205 million Christians, what does our nation look like? 
Well, according to statistics, we lead the world in illegal drug use. According to statistics, America leads the world in pornography. We host 428 million porn pages. We are responsible for 60% of the world's pornography that is put out in the world. And you know who number two is? The Netherlands. They host 187 million, 26%. So we are 60%. The number two pornography distributor or whatever in the world is Netherlands, 26. We're three times worse than number two. But wait, we have 205 million Christians versus 120 that started this whole thing. So something's not right, right? And don't we know it every day? Don't we know it every day? I mean, when, when we see the, where our nation's going, don't we know it every day? And we are the salt and we are the light, so it's us. It's us. Because it's all, we, are the, we are the ones who maintain the morality of a nation. It's us. So we got to go back. And you guys know I've been doing this. The Lord, those of you who are new, every time I, I spend a lot of time praying, God, what do you want me to talk about? And over and over and over again, this whole season, Bible study season, God has said to me, go back to the basics, go back to the basics, go back to the basics. We've done all kinds of basics of the power of the name of Jesus, the power of the blood, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of all these things. And again, he's like, go back to the basics. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the basics. Because it, I want to say this. I, you know, I, I hate to, I, so I love the church. I love the church. I love going to church. I love going in all different kinds of churches. I love the different types of worship. I love all that. I love it. But we also have to be genuine and realize we're missing something. So what are we missing? I, 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 I was looking. Think about this. We, Christianity started as a loving body in Israel, right, at Pentecost. It was the body of Christ. It was the bride of Christ. The by, the, there was no buildings. There were no, uh, you know, it was only the body of Christ. Nothing else. It started as a loving, powerful body, and nothing could stop it. Not persecution, not death. How many people died? How many people? Nothing could stop it. It was dynamic. It was a fireball. A fire consumes everything. It was everything we were called to be, and it did its job, and it changed the world. But then it goes from there to Greece, and in Greece it becomes a philosophy. Comes to Europe later on, and in Europe became a culture. Comes to America, and it was wonderful, but it has become something different. It's become a business. What happens when a body becomes a business? It's prostitution. It is. When a body becomes a business, a body, this body is not doing it with 205 million believers and us not changing our culture and watching in front of our eyes this culture go into absolute denigration, it's a wake-up call to us because we can be, and it doesn't take a lot. It, God never needed large numbers. He needed a few who were fully devoted. So we're going back to the basics. We're going back to where it started. So here's the very beginning. Before the coming of Jesus, the very beginning, even before Jesus came, how did it start? John the Baptist preached repentance and baptism to all the people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go back to the basics of repentance and baptism. 
Repentance is a word we don't hear very much. But interestingly enough, every single one of the founding, the, the pillars of our faith started with repentance. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, John the Baptist. Jesus began his preaching, his very first beginning, preaching, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus started with a message of repentance. Then John gets taken to prison, and what does Jesus do? He continues the time in saying, the, the good news has come, the kingdom of God is near, is near. Repent of your sins, believe the good news. Here's the thing, and I'm going to tell you guys this, repentance is actually really good news. And we're going to see this. It's not heavy, it's a blessing. It's a gift. Peter, so here you've got John, Jesus, Peter. How does Peter, this is his first sermon, Peter's first sermon after he's filled with the Spirit of God. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized. Repentance and baptism. Repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to talk about this because obviously if the three major pillars of our faith started their ministry with a message of repentance, obviously this, and baptism, it's all repentance and baptism, obviously this is a really important part. It's the foundation. It's the beginning. We're going back to the beginning because we have missed something. So the first question is, what are, we, what are we repenting of? And that might seem like a silly question, except for guess what? It's really not. A, it's not. Because it's, we're repenting of something we never talk about anymore. We are repenting of sin. We're repenting of sin. A word, when's the last time you heard that word? I don't hear it anymore except for the fact that this is the very beginning. You can't get anywhere unless you talk about sin. Um, and before, before I get into this, I, I think one of the reasons that we've stopped talking about it, maybe, you know, I kind of wonder, I'm like, why? Why have we stopped talking about this major piece of the word of God? Why have we left this? Um, I think one of the major reasons we've stopped talking about it maybe is because at one point the church became very legalistic. And so now people say, I don't want to be legalistic, so I'm not going to talk about sin. I want to talk about what legalism is because I feel like that word has been perverted. Legalism is when you quench the power of the Spirit of God because you are so rule-focused, you don't leave any room for grace, and you don't leave any room for mercy. There, you can quench the spirit of God. Look, the Pharisees did it, right? They, they put all these rules on people. They overloaded people with, 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 with burdens. That's legalism. You can quench the spirit of God with legalism. And, and I suspect that maybe, maybe why we stopped talking about this is because we overcorrected. I looked. I was curious. Um, overcorrection is responsible for 400,000 car wrecks in America. Because when you overcorrect, you wreck things. I feel like we have stopped talking. Maybe one of the reasons we've stopped talking about this is because we have tried to overcorrect because we don't want to be legalistic. Legalistic is a negative thing. It's a bad thing. But we can't overcorrect. We're wrecking it. We're, we're not talking about this, the beginning foundation of Christianity. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, and, and here's the thing we've done. We have literally rewritten the Holy Scriptures. We have rewritten them. 
We have determined ourselves what is or isn't sin anymore. Um, I'm going to start with, with what sin isn't. It's not about what you do or don't feel guilty about. People have seared consciences. One person doesn't feel guilty about something, somebody else does feel guilty. Other people have overactive consciences. I know some people who think every single thing under the sun is a sin. They live in their constant guilt and condemnation. It's not what we feel. And, and the problem is we've made sin into what we feel, which, by the way, is exactly if you, those of you, because as a, as, a, as, a, as a Bible study, we're reading through the Bible this year. And those of you who are reading through the Bible, we just finished up Judges, the worst book in the Bible. It is not our, it is an X-rated book. It is, the, the things that happen in that book are so horrific and violent and vile and sexually perverted. And I mean, you know, it's funny because you start to think about reading through the, the Bible, you know, when you've got kids and then all of a sudden your kids, you get to the book of, you know, uh, Judges and you're like, yeah, we'll skip that entire book. But what happened, the last verse, the last chapter and the last verse in the book of Judges, this is what it says. It, ex it tells you what happened to that entire society. It tells you what happened to everything. And guess what happened? In those days, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. See, they weren't actually doing what they thought was wrong. They weren't doing what they thought was wrong. They were doing what they thought was right. The problem is, it's not about our thoughts. The problem is, it's not about what we think. There is a standard that is set by God, the creator, and that's the only thing that determines what is or isn't a sin. We've got to go back to the basics. We cannot even start from what we need to do. We cannot even begin to be the, the dynamo, the fireball that God created us to be until we get back to this very basic thing. So what does the Bible define as sin? We all know the Ten Commandments, but I'm just going to go through two scriptures. I mean, there are, so, there are plenty, but two scriptures. This is when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, which idolatry today, usually not worship being a little idol. It's more worship be putting anything in front of God, <clears throat> your career, your family, your children, anything. Sorcery, listen, that's net, so we, some of these words don't make sense to us. That's like going to get your fortune told. That's, the, you know, that's these things. Hostility, fighting, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. See, it's very easy for us to think that, we, we think of the big sins. We think we're probably doing okay until you look at some of these things and you think about the last time you yelled at your husband or, you know, gotten a <coughs> fight at, the, at Costco. That's life-threatening every time I go to Costco, you know. I mean, so... Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, it says, don't think you're okay if this is your lifestyle. Don't think you're okay. Next one, 1 Corinthians don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards 
or are abusive or cheat people. You know, I read that, and the, you guys know I've, or maybe you don't know, but I've owned different businesses, and the worst I've ever been treated are people in the church. I, I, we're not looking at this stuff. You know, we're thinking we can do however we want to do, and it just doesn't, you know, because we constantly hear that our sin doesn't really matter, and it does. We're not ever going to be the people we were created to be if we're ignoring this stuff. Okay, cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. So if you see this list, it's like, okay, if you were once like that, it's okay. It's, he's going to tell us what to do about it. That's what we're going to study today. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Okay, general idea of what sin is, because I don't think we even know anymore. And I think it is cruel that we don't talk about this. I think it is downright cruel. I think good people who really are searching for God are showing up at church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and they can't figure out why they read the Bible, and they can't, they don't live in this power, they don't live in the joy. It, the, the Bible becomes a fairy tale when we don't start with the basics because they're just like, oh yeah, the Bible promises peace, joy, love, all these great things. I don't have any of that because they're living in this stuff and they don't even know it's a sin. It, we need to teach the truth. We need to tell the truth. Why aren't we telling the truth? Really, the Bible says the truth will set you free. Why do we go to church and not hear the truth? This is why I do this. This is why I do this. Because somebody has to tell the truth. And, and I, I wonder to myself, why don't, so maybe it's overcorrection. Maybe that's a kindness to say it's overcorrection. Maybe, maybe I'm letting people off the hook. Maybe it's that they don't want to be persecuted. Because when you tell the truth, you're persecuted. When you tell the truth, people get mad. Just look at Stephen, stoned to death. Just look at Paul, shipwrecked. You know, all kinds of, we all know, beaten, jailed, died a martyr. Look at Jesus Christ. You know, you got to be willing to pay a price to tell the truth. And you also can't worship man's opinion. Because people are going to get mad. And you're going to have to be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. And so maybe people don't want to have to suffer a little bit to tell the truth. I don't know. I'm not, even, I'm not in their heads. I'm just saying, for some reason, we've stopped telling the truth in church. And I'm just here to tell the truth. Because without the beginning of the truth, I'm telling you, we can't, there, there, you, can't get, you can't even get to first base with God if you don't even know what a sin is or you're not even acknowledging what it is. So, what are we saved from? I know these might seem basic, but I promise you they're not basic. What are we saved from? People always say hell. People say hell. We're saved from hell. What we're saved from is actually sin. Sin is a result of, hell is a result of sin. When you are forgiven of your sin, you're saved from hell. There isn't a scripture that I know of, and I've read through the Bible a lot, a lot of times, that says uh, Jesus died to save us from hell. It always says Jesus died to save us from sin. But if we're no longer calling a sin a sin, there's nothing for you to be saved from. There's nothing for you to repent from. There's no way to get to first base. We are swinging at the ball, and we're not even connecting. It's, it's strike. It's foul ball. It's, we're, not even, we're never even getting to first base. So 
This is what Jesus, the next day John saw Jesus coming and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus died to take away the sins. So if we're not talking about him, we can't address it. It's a brilliant plan by Satan. We do have an enemy who's trying to steal from us the power, the life, the joy, the purpose of our lives. We do have an enemy who's lying to us night and day. And we do have an enemy who's trying to get us to say, whatever I do, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And I don't even know if it's even a sin anymore. Or I don't even really know what is a sin. Sin is what I've decided is. Sin is how I feel about something. It's a lie from the pit of hell, and it is destroying lives. It's destroying families. It's destroying churches. It's destroying this nation. We've got to get to the very beginning. So that's sin, because you have to know what sin is before you can repent for something. So now, repentance, which is where they all started. See, back then, they knew what sins were. <laughs> now, we don't. We've made up a whole narrative. But what is repentance? A lot of times, people think repentance means feeling sorry. That might be the beginning. That might be the part of it. That's not, that's not the whole thing. Feeling sorry is not repentance. It might be where you start. Um, a lot of times, people think feeling regret is repentance. Regret is um, you might feel grieved. You might feel hurt. You might feel angry. You, you can regret your whole life. You can look back and say, I regret those decisions. You can say, I regret where I've landed. I regret what's happened. That's not repentance. Uh, it's, it's on the way to repentance, but it's not repentance. What about remorse? People think remorse is repentance. Remorse is when you're sorry for how you hurt somebody else. Again, you can feel grief. You can feel sorry. You can feel bad. It's still not repentance. And, and, and see, because we don't understand what repentance is, we think if we feel bad, that means we've repented. Again, we keep going. See, we, we've become so addicted to feelings. Like, feelings are, feelings fly with the wind. They will lead you to the pit of hell. Feelings are, it, it's not truth. So sin is what we feel, and, and, and repentance is what we feel, and so we're never getting anywhere. Just spinning your wheels. It, people are hamsters on a, on a wheel, and it hurts my heart to see. So what is repentance? Repentance is when you are heartbroken over what you did to God. It's about him. See, everything else is about yourself or about somebody else. It's when you realize what you did to God. It, it, you know, it's, I wrote on here, um, it's in light of what God has done for you. Uh, when you see things from his perspective, he has given us everything. He gave us life. He's given us power. He's given us peace. He's given us every promise that is ours. If we, if we go to him his way, we're going to talk about that today. But it is being heartbroken because he's so good and that we did this to him. Repentance is about what we've done to him. And when you get to a place where you're just like, I did that to God, I'm so sorry. That's when we start to make changes. I have an analogy, and uh, Reagan and I were dress shopping, and I love to dress her up, she's like a little Barbie doll. And Reagan waves so people know, that's my daughter. So anyway, so we were dress shopping, and we were in the dressing room, and we found this dress, and it was gorgeous. 
and it was really expensive. And I'm just like, you have to have this dress. It looks so beautiful on you. You know, I'm going to put back a couple things so we can buy this dress. And Regan starts sobbing in the dressing room. I'm like, what's going on? In front of the whole no, <laughs> no, I'm not going into detail. But anyway, but I said, what's wrong, honey? She said, that there's something on my conscience that I need to tell you. And you're so good to me. I don't want you to buy me this expensive dress until I tell you. Because the goodness made her feel bad. The goodness of God convicts us. And, and I bought her the dress anyway, but I made, her, I made her fix the right. I made her correct the thing, right? You know, but, but the point is, it's God's goodness that should be bringing us to this point of just like, i got to get right with you, God. You're so good to me. That's what repentance should look like, and it gives us freedom. I want to talk about examples of repentance, of, of, of not repentance. Okay, sorry. I want to, of regret. Here's an example of regret. Pharaoh. Every five minutes, he's calling Moses back in, right? I'm sorry, you know, I did this, please fix it. And then five minutes later, he does it again. That's regret. He regretted the consequence, right? That was not repentance. He was drowned eventually in a sea. That was regret. Remorse. Here's an example of remorse, but not repentance. Judas. Judas Iscariot. He betrayed Jesus. He was remorseful of what he did to Jesus. He's so remorseful, he commits suicide. But he doesn't repent. Because repentance means you change your way. God will forgive you. God will always forgive us if we truly repent. He, he could have been saved. He could have, listen, Peter betrayed Jesus too. He had true repentance. And that's the very rock on which Jesus built the church. So true repentance, God always is like, thank you for making this right. Come here. I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to build you up and use you in the most powerful way. I'm going to take your weakness and make it a strength. You know, Peter did it right. So there's a difference between remorse and regret and repentance. Here are some examples of some more true repentance. The, the, the prodigal son, he wakes up in a pig pen. He has regret. I regret that I'm in this pig pen. I regret that I squandered all this money. I regret where I, where I am. He has remorse. I re, I, I'm remorseful for the way I treated my father. But repentance came when he said, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. When he realized, and, and he never went back to that pig pen, right? He changed. Um, a, a beautiful example, I love this example so much, and it's Zacchaeus. This is so wonderful. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. You guys, if you don't know the story, he was a tax collector. He, climbed, he quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to the guest of a notorious sinner. They hated that he was such a sinner. Jesus never hated sinners. He said, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That's what repentance looks like. That's real. And what does Jesus say? Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son. That's what changes your life. A lot of times religious people or good people have a really hard time with repentance because they think they're really good. And this is a hard topic. This is hard. See, Jesus says those who have been forgiven much love much. 
people who have been really good have a hard time with this because they're like, I've been good. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people. I've been good. I'm not like these people who have these testimonies of these things that they, you know, blah, blah, blah. This can be a problem. Whoops, whoops. Okay, I missed something I was going to say. What I was going to say is, uh, I skipped ahead in my notes, but what I was going to say is, the Bible tells us to ask God to hate the sin the way he does. And the Bible tells us love must be sincere. Love towards God must be sincere. What does sincere love towards God look like? Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. God says we have to, we ask him and he will give us a, a new soft heart. Um, so here we go, on to the Pharisees. Okay, so um, when they confessed their sins, this is John the Baptist, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him, he denounced them, you brood of snakes. It's the ultimate um, put down. What was Satan? A snake. He's basically saying you're like the most evil of them all. You religious people are the most evil of them all. You're so self-righteous. He says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. Don't just say to each other, I'm safe because I tithe, because I show up in church, because I read my Bible, because I do all these things. Don't say you're safe because you do that stuff. That's, that's not real. It says that means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children out of, out of these stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. He's like, I only baptize those who repent of their sins. You're not repentant at all. You're so self-righteous. Because you look at your exterior deeds and you never deal with your soul. And, you know, it's interesting. Jesus never, never condemned a sinner. It was, it was the religious people who wouldn't deal with themselves. You know, a lot of, a lot of us go to church. A lot of us, maybe we're not dealing with ourselves. We got we to gotta look at ourselves because he wants to set us free. He wants to give us these blessings. God knows. We know. Every single one of us has been in some type of relationship where someone apologizes, 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 but never changes. They, are, they wear us down with that, and they manipulate with that, us with that because an apology without change is manipulation. And we can't manipulate God. You cannot manipulate God. So we see this in James. It says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. And he's being sarcastic. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. So who cares if you believe? Who cares if you believe that God exists? The demons believe that. That does not, that doesn't matter to God if you believe he exists. There's more to it. And they tremble. They even fear God. Even the demons. How foolish. I mean, this is strong language. Like you're an idiot, is what he's saying. You're an idiot. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? See, we've, we have gotten so in the ditch of acting like our behaviors don't matter that we're now, our, our, our religion has become a lie. It really has. He's like, don't you remember that our ancestor, don't, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? By his actions. You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happens, just as the scripture says. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous of his faith. 
He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Even Rahab the prostitute. See, I love this. Just in case you're starting to feel condemned, he counts Rahab the prostitute as in the righteous. Because it's not about what we did, it's about what we do. Our past doesn't matter. It's about repentance and getting washed clean of it. So Rahab the prostitute is who God uses as the standard of righteousness. Now that's pretty amazing. Rahab the prostitute was shown to be right with God by her actions when she helped the people. Just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. What we do, how we live, matters. And it is the only way to get to the, to the beginning of this relationship with God. So, so John the Baptist said to them, prove your repentance by your fruit. So some, some fruit is usually, and I've been through this process myself plenty of times, and I've been through this process with a lot of people. I've helped a lot of people through this, where they're stuck in their life, absolutely stuck in their life, and they can't figure out why they're so stuck in their life. And the first thing is to see where you're wrong, to see it. When somebody sees it and they confess it out loud, that is the beginning. When somebody finally says, you know, what, what, what in AA, what's the first thing you have to do? Get up and say, hi, I'm an alcoholic. If you can't even admit that you're an alcoholic, there's nowhere to go. If you can't even admit where you're missing it, there's nowhere to go. So the beginning is to confess it out loud. Second thing is not to blame others. I cannot stand what's happened in our society when I have full-fledged 50 and 60-year-old, 40, 50, 60-year-old adults <coughs> blaming what's wrong on them because of their parents. I'm like, you've been a grown-up for like four decades. What is it your responsibility? <laughs> I mean, you know, stop blaming. Stop blaming other people. Um, don't make excuses, self-righteous excuses like the, like the Pharisees did. Um, they were the most evil in the society. There was no one more evil than the religious in Jesus' society. They are the ones who crucified Christ. Nobody else crucified him. The prostitutes didn't. The tax collectors didn't. The, 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 the sin, those people did not. It was the religious. The, we, listen, if you're religious, you need to be real careful right now and take a good, close look and get really real because there's a lot of danger in that. You know, it, we, we look at the exterior things like reading our Bible, going to church, paying our tithe, and think that that makes us okay, and God's like, this is way bigger than this. Um, have fruit in keeping with repentance and then your life, life begins to change. Now here's a hard thing to say, but it needs to be said. If your life has not drastically changed because of an encounter with Jesus, then you haven't had an encounter with Jesus. It's impossible. If you have not had drastic change in your life, See, there's a lot of people walking around thinking that they're Christians, and they're not. Their lives have not changed. You cannot have a changed life and pretend like you're a Christian, because we got a lot of, with 205 million Christians in America and our nation going the way we're going, when 120 changed the world at Pentecost, we have a lot of pretenders. And listen, maybe they don't even know. 
Because maybe they don't know the truth. There's a lot of people who don't know the truth because nobody's telling the truth. So we got to tell the truth. So what does it say in Scripture? You can enter the kingdom of God only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for many to choose that way. It's our choice, right? God doesn't send us there. We choose it. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. It's not going to be a lot. You're going to have to be willing to have people mad at you, not agree with you, tell you you're this, that, whatever, because it is a narrow path. And the Bible warns us, don't be deceived. I want to go back to some of these scriptures. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. When you don't do what the scripture says, who are you deceiving? Yourself. By the way, everybody around you knows it. Everybody around. When you don't really live the scriptures, when you don't live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the only person deceived around you is you. Everybody else knows it. You're only fooling yourself. It says you're deceiving yourself. Next one says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life, it was a list of sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not maybe won't, it's you won't. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Let's look at the next one. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Listen, there's a lot of fooling yourselves going on. And I know because I fooled myself, so I'm really aware of that. Uh, you know, I had a radical encounter with, with the Holy Spirit that forever changed me. But I understand this category. Been there, done it. I get it. Uh, but we got to get that. And that's why I'm so desperate. That's why I do this. I'm desperate for all the people out there who were once me half asleep in a pew. I'm desperate to get the truth out. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. It's like black and white. This isn't, this is so basic. It's so basic except for the fact that we are totally, when is the last time you've heard this? I mean, when do you, I don't ever hear this anymore. Only those who, who, who actually do the will of the Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. It's serious. You guys, this is the thing. We become Christianity light. Absolutely Christianity light. So we are powerless in our own lives. We are powerless in the world. We are powerless as we watch our nation go down the toilet. This is because we're, we're Christianity light. This is the basics. We've got Jesus' best friend, John. He's got a lot to say about this. It says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. How do you know him? How are you sure you know him? I've got a lot of people who said to me, I don't know if I'm a Christian. So here we go. We can be sure we know him if we obey his commandments because he's going to change your heart. <clears throat> if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar. That's really strong language, you guys. That person's a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God 
should live their lives as Jesus, as Jesus did. And then he says, I'm writing you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Christ. See, this isn't condemnation. This is the way to forgiveness. This is the way to freedom. This is the way to blessing. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you've repented, you can finally be free. You don't live under that. But, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to confess them and we have to get real about it. Um, here it says, all, again, this is, uh, this is 1 John 3, 3 through 10. All who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure as he is pure. We have to keep ourselves pure. This is what we are called to do. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. There is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. That doesn't mean you're never going to sin. It means you're not going to live in a pattern of it. You're not going to be a slave to it anymore. He changes your heart. He takes your heart of stone and gives you a soft heart towards his ways. But anyone who keeps on sinning doesn't know him or understand who he is. Don't pretend like you know him. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Constantly it's saying people are being deceived about this. People are living lives. They don't know. Don't be deceived. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. How are you righteous? You follow God's ways. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. Very strong language, not my words. These are straight from the scriptures. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family don't make a practice of sinning. It's about not living in a practice, in a pattern. We're all going to fail. We're all going to fall short. We're going to quickly repent. God will quickly forgive us. We don't live under guilt. We don't live under condemnation. But we should change. See, here's the thing. Jesus says, come as you are. Come as you are. We, and you guys have heard me say this. We are never supposed to stay as we are. You come as you are. But if you stay as you are, you have not had an encounter with the Messiah. You haven't. Because he changes you. It says, anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. If you don't love other people, if you don't love other people, you don't belong to God. If you, you don't belong to him. You think you belong to him, you don't. See, in the same book, 1 John, Jesus' best friend, he says, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. But at the same time, he's saying, but if he's forgiven your sins, you'd be changing if you're not changing, you really haven't repented. We do not earn our salvation. And that's another ditch. What are you guys, you guys know they've made bumper stickers for me because I say it every sermon, the devil's in the ditches. Because he's always trying to get us in ditches. The other ditch is, okay, well, you earn your salvation. No, you don't earn your salvation. Um, there's no... Um, there's no, there's no way we could. Our, our, our best acts are dirty rags. We can't earn it. This is not about earning. This is about surrendering. This is about being radically changed and living in the benefits that Christ has given us. These are the benefits of Christianity. The, the benefit of repentance is the power that comes. Um, I just... I just have to say one more time because I feel like this is so radically important. Unless your life has begun to change, and change takes time. 
you guys know, I devote my life to do, you know, I only do Bible study every other week because we do very intense ministry to people on the off weeks, very intense. I'm change, you, you know, I help people change. It's what I do with my life. Change doesn't happen overnight. This isn't about bingo, bango, you're perfect. This is about a trajectory of your life changing. You know, when you're beginning to change, it's three steps forward and two steps back and five steps forward and one step back. But the trajectory is changing. And that's what God, if your trajectory is not changing, you haven't met the Savior. And that's scary for me for people. You know, it's, it's terrible. Your attitude towards sin really tells you it's a litmus about where you are. If you can sin and it doesn't bother you, or you can shrug it off, or you don't really care what the Bible says about sin, then you need to take a look. Because a person who really has Jesus on the inside of them cannot interact with sin that way. It eats you alive. It eats you alive. We just, so I'm going to tell on myself, honey, since I told on you. So we were, Dylan and Reagan and um, Dave and I were in the car the other day. Dave has a little convertible and we had the top down and the music blaring and this song came on and I said, Dave, turn it up. I love this song. You know, we're all jamming out to the song. Didn't think anything of it, right? 3 a.m. that night, the Lord woke me up. You know what he said to me? I don't love that song. <laughs> and I went back and I thought about the song and I thought about the lyrics. I was like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be loving that song. I sent David a text. Could you please delete that from your playlist? I sent the kids a text. I said, guys, the Lord told me I was wrong. We're not playing that song in this house anymore. I know I said I loved it. I'm not supposed to love it. I'm done. But, you know, the point is even... And Dylan's like, wow, something like that small. I'm like, yes, I want the Spirit of God to convict me on everything. I want the conviction because I want the repentance because I want the power. The smallest things. See, it used to be I couldn't feel convictions about big, big, big things. I look back on the things I didn't feel convicted about, and I'm just like, yeah, I wasn't walking with God at all, and I thought I was. Now he convicts me on the smallest things, and I want it because I really want to walk this path with boldness. It's just not about trying hard. It's about holy surrendering. <clears throat> it's good news. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. They're wiped away. This is the good news. Once you repent, it's gone forever. You don't carry that guilt and shame around ever again. Remember, he takes our sins as far as the east is from the west, remembers them never again, and never holds them against us. The time of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that great? See, after repentance, a time of refreshing comes. That's the whole point. He wants to refresh your soul. Sin wears down your soul. The Holy Spirit builds up your soul. Our entire faith is birthed through repentance. Remember, the first words of John the Baptist, of Jesus, of Peter, of the entire ministry, all starts with repent. It's how the whole thing starts. I'm just going to read this again because I love the scripture and I love the amplified version. And I love the, 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 the classic amplified version. It's, it's so, it's so um, if you're looking for a really accurate translation, this is just the best. In those days there appeared John the Baptist preaching in the desert and saying, repent, think differently, change your mind, regret your sins, change your conduct. For the kingdom of God is near. 
This is he who's mentioned the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the road for the Lord. Make the highway straight. How do you prepare your heart for God? How do you get your life straightened out? This is how you start here. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. Without repentance, you can't be forgiven. And people are trying to find forgiveness without ever actually repenting of anything because we're not even clear on what it is. Um, we have been told, I have heard this, if you have faith, you're automatically forgiven. There's no scripture that says that. But we seem to think if we have faith, we're automatically forgiven. Uh, it, every time you find forgiveness, it's tied to repentance. And also it's tied to baptism, which is how we started. Um, repentance, forgiveness, baptism. They go they go, they are stair steps, always in scripture. Um, so let me just show you some of this. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. I need to talk to you, this, I really need to talk to you guys about this whole baptism thing. And this is really powerful. And I wanna, I wanna shed light on something here. Be baptized, wash your sins away. Next one. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Wait, baptism, forgiveness of sins. Do you see this again? Baptism, forgiveness of sins. Confessing their sins, they were baptized. Here you go. Sins, confession, baptism. They go hand in hand. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Believing, baptized, saved. Do you see, do you see how these all go together? I could have put a lot more on there. I want to talk about the meaning of baptism. Of course, I have the Greek word here, which nobody cares about. But what it does mean, the meaning of it is to dip or, or immerse. Um, it, the same word is used when Jesus dipped that bread in the wine, the very first sacrament, the very first time the sacrament of communion was ever done. That is the same word. That bread took on the, 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 the characteristic of the wine. Um, it says baptism's objective becomes ident object becomes identified what is dipped in or immersed in. It used the example like a piece of cloth that's dyed. You might have a white piece of cloth, but the second it goes into the dye, it's no longer white. It's now identified with what it's dipped in. If you take a white cloth and put it in red dye, it's red. It's not white anymore. It's now been transformed into what it was put into. I'm going to read this scripture. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on a new cloth. See, being baptized is putting on Christ. It's a very powerful thing. It's putting on Christ. It says when the Bible teaches that the Christian, bapti the Christian is baptized into Christ, we are baptized into Christ. We are baptized unto Christ. And it shows that the Christian's spiritual identity is with his Death, burial, resurrection. Resurrection power comes to this. If you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, how are you buried with Christ? Baptism. Baptism. we got to see the importance of this. And with him you were raised to new life. How do you get to new life? You have to be buried in baptism. You come up out of the water, new life. Because you are trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This is the power of baptism. Or have you forgotten, um, just if you want to, this is a long one, but this is Romans 6, starting with verse 3. 
Have you forgotten when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism? Joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ. How? By baptism. This is really important. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. How do you live new lives? After baptism, after you're resurrected out of the water. Since we have been united with him in his death through the baptism, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. How does sin lose its power? Baptism is a part of this. So you can't just have repentance. There's more steps to it. We are no longer slaves to sin. See, I hear this all the time. People say all the time, I can't help it. I can't help it. I'm stuck in this thing. But it says that when you've repented and been baptized, you're no longer a slave. So if you can't help it, there's a piece missing in your walk. And that's what we're here to do is help. For when we die with Christ, we're set free from the power of sin. You can't be a slave to sin and, and still be walking with Christ. Something's amiss. Um, and since we die with Christ, we know we will also live with him. See, it's all about living the fireball life, being the dynamo that he meant us to be. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives. He lives to the glory of God. So you and I also consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. We just see this over and over and over again. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right before the glory of God. We are called to die so we can live in fullness. We, have, we put so much energy into this life here. We put so much into this life here. We, we, we turn ourselves inside out to live. Not just live, but to live very, very well. It gets a majority of our focus. But we can't live that powerful. So that, you know, this kind of goes back to me saying, you know, why aren't the preachers telling the truth anymore? Maybe it's they don't want to be persecuted because this life becomes too much of the focus. And, and when we, this life becomes too much of a focus, we haven't really died, so we can't really live in power. It's only one way to live in power. We have, to, we have to be willing to die. We have to be willing to let that, that flesh be crucified. Um, you know, the, 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 the try harder thing or I can't thing, which is what you hear a lot in counseling, um, is so mild compared to what God says to do about it. He says, kill it. <laughs> He's like, stop whining. Go kill it. I mean, sleek. You know, strong language, because it takes strong language to get free, to live in power, you know? Um, baptism is about being all in. You should not get baptized unless you are all in for God. It is about death. You can't die unless you're all in. Only way to be resurrected is to totally die. It is a commitment. It is a marriage. It is I am staying um, the old is gone, the new is here, you die with Christ, you rise with Christ. Every person I've baptized back there in that pool, every single person we've had said, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. I have died to the option, kind of like when you get married, I have died to all other options, this is the only path. 
but I am resurrected in his power. I am resurrected in my new life. The old is gone. I mean, it's the best news in the world. The old dead self goes under those waters. See, I know a lot of people who walk around in a lot of guilt over sins they did a long time ago. And I'm like, why are you walking around? Like, you haven't done that sin in just 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Why are you walking around in this heavy burden? Why are you walking around in this guilt? They've confessed it. They clearly have repented from it. They're not doing it anymore. What's missing? I think a lot of people have not been baptized of a baptism of repentance. And that, that sin clings to them. That guilt clings to them. When you go under those waters, see, people were baptized as children or baptized before they really knew God or did it because it was cultural or whatever. They didn't really, or, or maybe they, they meant it when they were a teenager, but since then they lost their way terribly. And, you know, the, the meandering path and they're coming back. Those baptism waters, you die, that old dead person stays under those waters and you come up resurrected in the power of Christ. The symbolism of water in the Bible goes all the way back. You, you know, in Genesis, the whole world was covered in water, and what? The Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. The water represents the Holy Spirit. It represents a new start, right? It was a new start, Genesis. It was new life. It was a new beginning, and the Holy Spirit hovered over that new beginning. Um, you have Noah. Noah and the ark. What did, what did water represent there? Death. What is part of baptism? Death. It was death to unrighteousness, death to evil. Uh, it was death. So water, water represents, but then it was new life to what is righteous and good. Um, and even it talks about Noah. Those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in days of Noah while the ark was being built. And you guys know it was 100 years it took the ark to be built. God gave people so much time. He doesn't want to. That's not his heart. His heart is love. But the world became so desperately evil that there was no way to protect the righteous anymore. We're, we're seeing that happen, right? So here we go. It, in, in only a few people, eight in all, were saved. How is it saved? Through water. And then look, it talks about this, this, and this water symbolizes baptism. God is so invested in the power of baptism that all the way back in Noah's day, he was planning to show us how powerful the waters of baptism are. It says, and what does it say about the waters of baptism that now save you? That's the power of the waters of baptism. This is bigger than what our little thing is these days, right? Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. You come out of the water with a clear conscience. Clean. And it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. How amazing is that? That's so powerful. And what's interesting is, 40 days, Noah is in the ark, right? 40 days. And then what happens? He sends out first a raven. The raven comes back. Then he sends out, the raven doesn't bring back new life. When the raven comes back, he sends out what? A dove. The dove brings back an olive branch. What does that represent? Well, first of all, the 40 days represents purification. We all know 40 is a God number. The Lord is into numerology. There's power in numerology numbers of God. 40 is a major God number. We know the Israelites walked around in the desert for 40 years. We know Noah was in the ark for 40. There's all kinds of 40 numbers in the Bible. But it represents purification, renewal, and preparation. The dove comes back with an olive branch, and 
and he realizes that there is new life out of a watery grave. That's what baptism is. New life out of a watery grave. New life has come. The dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And what does, God, what does Jesus say about water? On the last day, Jesus stood and shouted. He shouted this. You don't hear him shouting a lot. This is something he shouted. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from within them. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit of God, who would be given to everyone who believed them. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered his glory. Jesus so shows us the power of the water. And think about this. Let's talk about Jesus' baptism for a minute. You know, Jesus couldn't launch his ministry until he was baptized. Jesus himself could not start his own ministry without being baptized. You know, I, I talk to people all the time who, who are just like, well, I haven't gotten around to it. I don't really know. Blah, blah. I can tell you, you're not living in power. You know, if you have not have been, if you have not been baptized, this is a major part of the foundation of the scripture. Even Jesus had to do it. I'm like, how can you be wishy-washy about this when the Son of God, who'd never sinned, still had to be baptized? And he had to be baptized because he says so himself. It says, Jesus went to the Galilee, sees John. John tries to talk him out of it. You should be baptizing me. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. If Jesus needed to do it because it was required. Um, so John agreed to baptize him, not as a baby, by the way. No, this is not a child, a baby being baptized, an adult man making an adult decision. That's what baptism is. Um, so John agreed to baptize him after his baptism as, as Jesus came up out of the water. I love this. The heaven opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, just like with Noah. Isn't that amazing? And it represents the Spirit of God, just like with Noah, the Holy Spirit, sending on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I, I, I love this. The Spirit of God comes on Jesus when he's baptized. Who, who, he, he got a new, fresh, powerful measure of the Holy Spirit through baptism. Even, even Jesus, the perfect son of God, got a fresh measure of the Holy Spirit through baptism. And God literally bellows down from heaven. I am so proud of my son. Now, Jesus died on the cross. He didn't do that. Jesus did miracles. The only time God bellows down from heaven about how proud he is of his son, how pleased he is with his son, is when he's baptized. If you don't think baptism after you become a devout, a devout believer, not before, after. If you don't think it matters, just look at Jesus. It, you know, and then what's interesting is the Holy Spirit comes upon him and immediately the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert, right? The Holy Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted. So he goes from this powerful Holy Spirit experience into a dry place of the desert which then he resists the temptation which launches him and sets him up because the flesh had to die. See, even the flesh, and there was no sin in that flesh, but flesh had to die. Our flesh has to die. If Jesus' flesh, if Jesus needed to be baptized, it dies. If Jesus' flesh, there was a temptation that he had to overcome, and that launches him. Because, and how is he launched? Through humble submission to baptism. This is really important. 
Uh, you know, we hear all the time, what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger. You know what the Bible says? If it kills your flesh, it gives you power. That's how you give power, by the killing of the flesh. Um, and Jesus became a fireball. That's when his ministry, he went from that desert into the, the courts of the center of the temple and said, I'm here. The Messiah is here. And then he said, repent. He was a fireball after that. He was on fire. His ministry started after that. The, the importance of this. Here's the thing. The powerful sacrament of the Holy Spirit. I feel that it has been tarnished over time and with tradition. I really do. I don't think we're, getting, we're grasping the power of this very holy sacrament. It is not just a symbol. This has become like a symbol. Um, it's far more powerful than our current tradition. It's become a tradition. It's death, it's burial, it's closure to past sins, it's the Holy Spirit anointing that comes through baptism. There's, it, it comes through baptism, the resurrection power, and the fireball that comes up out of that water. And if you have been living under a weight prior to baptism, it should be gone because those sins are forever washed away. No more guilt, no more shame, all, all gone, brand new, brand new in Christ. We are looking at baptism as an outward sign of an inward reality. You hear that all the time, an outward sign of an inward reality. Have you guys heard that coin phrase before? I feel like this separates the spiritual and the physical. I feel like it, I'm going to write what I wrote. I wrote, we end up with something that is ceremonial and has no connection with anything powerful in the spirit realm. It's become a ceremony. This is a powerful connection. In other words, baptism has become common. Instead of understanding the power and the dynamite of the spirit of God that happens in these moments, um, when we go under the, the water, our physical body and the, and the hand of God touches our life. It's a spiritual event. It's a very spiritual event. It's, a, it's powerful. It's miraculous. Having been buried with him in baptism. Again, how are we buried? In baptism. In which you were also raised with him. How are we raised with him? Go under, come up. Through your faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You are clothed with Christ through the power of baptism. I want to give you a few quick examples of how it was done in the book of Acts. Because how did we start this? Why in the book of Acts were 120 Christians so dynamite? Why are we so lethargic, depressed, and ineffective? We're going back to the basics. Well, in the, in the book of Acts, they, here we have um, the jailer. So you guys know Paul and Silas. They've been beaten. They've been thrown in prison. And what happens? The earthquake comes because they're praising God. It brings an earthquake. They all stay in their jails. The jailer is, think, is about to commit suicide. And instead, he realizes that these Christian men have saved his life, and he, they become a Christian. It says, even at that hour of night, do they wait for six months or even that moment in the middle of the night? It says everyone in his household were immediately 
baptized because it's important and it's powerful, even in the middle of the night. I love this story, the Philip. So an angel has come to Philip, appeared to Philip, and he said, go to this chariot and wait by this chariot. So can you, first of all, just can the first of that sentence, I mean, an angel appears to Philip, like how amazing. So he, of course, does what the angel says, and then this is what happens. He, there's a eunuch in there. He's a very powerful politician in this, in this waiting in this chariot, and so he begins to talk to him, Philip hears him reading the scripture. He says, do you understand what you read? He's like, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. Because by the way, it's preacher's job to explain this to people. Because here this man couldn't understand it for himself. So God knew this man's heart was sincere. So he sends Philip. So Philip begins to explain the, the, the good news about Jesus. As they travel along the road, they come to some water. And the eunuch says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? immediately. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, what happens? The power of the Holy Spirit shows up. Every time after the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit shows up immediately. Look at this. And it takes Philip away and drops him off in some other town. He has this like miraculous event. Look at this. Picks him up, scoops him away, the eunuch didn't ever see him again, but went on his way rejoicing, and then it says it dropped him in some, Philip in some town. I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit shows up in this moment. It's amazing. And then, of course, we also have the first time they realized that Gentiles were supposed to be Christians. And what's, what does it say here? Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with the water. They've received the Holy Spirit we have. You've got water. You've got the baptism. You've got the Holy Spirit. You have baptized them immediately. There is power in this. There is Holy Spirit power in the sacrament of baptism that if you were not baptized in repentance, if you were baptized out of tradition, if you were baptized out of a child, if you were baptized because, and you weren't even, you know, you did it because your friends were doing it or whatever, you haven't really experienced it. It's, it's a baptism of repentance and it's a resurrection in power and of the Holy Spirit that is meant for you and for me. It's meant for us. He died for us to have this. This is so important. And I'm going to read this again. I love this. Again, it's the amplified classic version. Peter answered them, repent. Okay, here's the, here's, here you go again. Here's the steps. Repent. Change your behavior, right? Be baptized in the name of Christ, and you're forgiven, you're forgiven of your sins. You're released from your sins. Repent, be baptized, then you're released from your sins, and then you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Bam, 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 bam. Over and over and over again. Peter replied, each of you must repent from your sins and return to God and be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who believe Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. Powerful message, powerful response. Lives were changed. All believers devoted themselves. See, here's the thing. You know it by its fruit. Did they really repent? Did they really have a touch from the Holy Spirit? Yeah, because all of them changed. They had an encounter with Christ, and they were changed. And they devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship and to sharing and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles forever performed many miracles and signs and wonders. Do you see all this happen after the baptism? And they worshiped after the repentance, after the baptism. There is fruit. There is fruit. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. If we don't have great joy, something's missing. And it's not God because God has not changed. It says, and see, we quote this verse a lot. You know, God is the same today, yesterday, forever. We, we understand that about God. But the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has not changed. We have. We're misaccepting. He's still available to us in this power. Absolutely. I just, I love how this, this changed them. So this is my conclusion. Out of water, out of repentance comes fire. It does, because the Bible says it does. See, there's rules. So if you play chess, there's rules, right? One person moves. You can't move three times. You can't move four times. You move one at a time. And that's how you play. That's how this works. There's rules. Jesus died. He took the first step. It's our turn. We repent. His turn. He forgives. Our turn. We get baptized. His turn. The power of the Holy Spirit. Fire in your life. And it's true, because I've lived it. So I'm standing here today, the thing I said I would never, ever in a million, billion years ever do, because there's a message that has to get out. And, not, and listen, we, it's not going to be a broad bunch of people who believe it, because God already told us that. He doesn't need a lot. He just needs a few fully devoted just you and me. I don't want to sit anymore and point fingers at the church. I just want to be this. I don't need, I just want to be it. And anybody who's willing to listen, I'm going to tell them. And I can't tell you how many people have told the truth. And people are like, oh my goodness, that's so refreshing. I've been so confused. I show up at church. I read. I pray. I don't know. I'm stuck. There is power. We have two places where Jesus is parting words. Matthew. These are his parting words. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what I said. Baptism involves the Trinity. You confess to the Father. You're forgiven by the Son. You're filled with the Spirit. That's why he says baptize the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you did not have an encounter with the Trinity when you were baptized, you didn't experience what God intended for you to have. should be dynamic. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them. Not teaching them that it doesn't matter, their sins don't matter, God doesn't care, he doesn't care about your sins. He cares. That's a lie, and it's keeping people trapped. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's one of his last words. Here are his other last words. He told them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone, anyone who believes, and what is baptized. Do you realize how important this baptism thing is? That we have renegated down to some little tradition. And is baptized. These are his last words. They're very important. We'll be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. How are you going to know if somebody is a true believer? Here, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Not the, not the power preachers. Not the, you know, most famous, whatever. Those who believe, simple people like you and me. I am just a simple, I'm a businesswoman, a mom, a wife, uh, didn't go to seminary, didn't do any of that stuff. I got an encounter with the Spirit of God. And this 
These signs have followed my life exactly like he said they would, exactly like they said he would. They have followed my life. Every single one of these things has happened in my life. They will cast out demons in my name. Done it. They will speak in new languages. Done it. They will be able to handle snakes and stay safe or drink poison. I haven't done those things, but I've... COVID? I gotta tell you, I stood on this with COVID. I stood on this with COVID, and I'm like, I'm not afraid of this. Because God says nothing can kill me. Can I, the last Sunday before church was shut down... A woman was sitting next to me, and they're like, you know, don't touch anybody who's six feet apart, blah, blah, blah. This woman's sitting there by herself. I said, we stood up to, you know, in this song. I said, do you need a hug? Because I'm not scared of COVID. She said, I need a hug so bad. I hugged her. She's a single mom, just moved here, didn't know anybody. What if I would let fear? I stood on this scripture. I can't tell you how many times I said this scripture to Christians. Are you kidding me? This thing cannot kill me. God said I can handle poison. I can have a snake bite. He's not literally meaning snakes and poison. He's trying to say nothing can kill you prematurely if you're living for God. I got stuff to do for God. COVID's not going to kill me. I have hugged everybody. You guys know that. Everyone who's walked through my door. I'm like, do you want a hug? I don't want to like shove myself on people. But I'm like, I, you're safe. You walk with God. Nothing can take you. I've lived this. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Done. I have so many miraculous stories I could tell you all day long. If you have not done these things, God has more power for you. You're missing power. Because every single thing on that list I have lived because I had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, and he says these signs will follow, and if these signs aren't following your life, there's more for you. There's so much more. There's so much more. When the Lord Jesus finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven, sat down at the place of honor at God's hand, and the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, us. The Lord will work through us, confirming what they said. How? By many miraculous signs. Miracles still happen today. They do. I see them all the time. If you are not experiencing miracles, there's more. The power, but we've got to get, before we can get here, you have to start back at, you got to, you got to, get up to bat and connect the ball with the bat and get to first base. There's a process. The first process, realizing what sin is, repenting of sin, being baptized, being forgiven, no longer living under guilt and condemnation, and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what you're like. You will be a fireball. You will be a dynamic. You will change the world just one little person. And if nobody else goes with you, it doesn't matter. Because you got the power of God. And it is real. And it is promised to every single one of us. So let me just pray, close in prayer. Amen. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fall on us, God. This is your holy word. Lord Jesus, these are not words that I made up. These are words from the throne room of God as an instruction booklet to his people how to walk a powerful, dynamic life filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with power, changing the world around us. Not sitting here wringing our hands, looking at things around us, but God, changing it. Lord, you don't need a lot of us. You just need a few of us who are willing to die are willing to put to death the works of the flesh, are willing to be resurrected in the power of the Spirit. God, let that be us. Let that be us. We just honor you today, Lord. 
We want everything you have to offer, Lord. We don't want to live half a life. We don't want to study your word and gain knowledge and not gain power. We don't want to be hearers of the word, Lord. We want to go out and live it. The power is in the living. The power is in the living out the gospel, Lord. Help us to live it out. Now, Father God, seal this word that we studied today. Seal it in our hearts. Seal it in our souls. Seal it in our minds. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.